I look at my role as the role and the opportunity to bring to life different people's ideas, different perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, and then figure out what's going to work best for the business and then help work to implement them. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. It's one thing to get feedback from others. It's another to follow up on that feedback to create change and make a difference. My guest today, Kevin Bohan, does exactly that. In the episode, he shares how feedback and follow-up have impacted how he and his company have responded to the pandemic. And he shares some tips on how to truly understand an organization. What do you say we dive right in? Kevin Bohan, I'm going to welcome you back to the show. And I'm welcoming you back to the show, not because this is uh, our second podcast, but because you were such a good sport on our first podcast that didn't work. So thank you for being such a good sport. Thank you for being such a good guy. And man, if we can even replicate half of our last podcast, this thing's going to be a winner. I'm looking forward to another great discussion. So glad to be back for the second time, for the first time. (laughs) You're a good sport, my friend. All right. So the show, I'd like to break it into a couple different parts. The first is like this rapid fire where, you know, kind of throw a couple quick questions at you, warm you up, let the uh, audience get a chance to kind of get to know you a little better. And then we go into something called like the main segment or where we kind of get under the hood on your experience and things that you've done and some wisdom that you can impart to those that are listening. So uh, let's start with the rapid fire. What would you title this chapter of your life? All right. So I would, if I was going to kind of chapter a a title, I would go with make it or break it. And really where I come up with that was from perspective of, at this point, I've got the HR experiences and the skills and the capabilities and work for a number of different companies. Really, it's about kind of making something happen, right? Impacting an organization and a team or or break it. Don't do it. So really, it's uh, make it or break it is the uh, the current chapter for me. That is just a great answer, by the way. I've only asked that question once to somebody. And the reason I never asked it again is because it, it's such a hard time being able to give an answer. And I get that. If you don't mind me asking, what did you have any other uh, any other chapter names running through your head? No other chapter names, but it really does make you stop and reflect a little bit around what's your overall goal for what you're doing at that point in your life. So it, it did kind of give me a little bit of pause, not just personally, but also professionally. So I, I like the question. Awesome. Are, are you a goal-oriented person? 
I, I like setting goals. I like having kind of a, something to shoot for, something to strive for, whether it's a running goal or a physical activity or a business goal or a milestone. So I like to kind of measure, and I guess that gets into my competitive side a little bit as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of goals myself. What was the last thing that made you laugh? This is a funny one here is with my youngest son is a first grader. And in our school district where we live, he's on remote, you know, Zoom learning for school. And I was walking through the kitchen the other day. And usually he's sitting there because they have to be on screen for his class. And he wasn't in front of the video. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And he shows me on his computer how he had taken a picture of himself put it on as his backdrop. And he's like, Oh, look, dad, my teacher just thinks I'm frozen. So he had figured out a way to kind of game the system a little bit with his technical skills as a first grader. So that was, uh, was pretty funny to say. That's awesome. And is that ingenuity falling from uh, your side of the family? Or are we giving uh, credit to your wife? Definitely give that credit to my wife. I'm not the technical one in the group. So <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. So you like goals. Tell me about habits that you have good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, so habits is one you kind of talk about from an exercising perspective. I, I, I like to run, kind of get out and, and think. So I try to get in a couple miles every day, whether I'm thinking through something on the personal side or I'm thinking through a project or I'm running through a presentation in my head that I'm going to do. So I try to get that run in every single day and probably a less good uh, hobby or a uh, habit rather is uh, is coffee. So I like to uh, drink a couple cups of coffee and making the switch over to decaf for the moment. So mm, Duncan or Starbucks? Duncan, <laughs> Me too. old school. I got I get a funny meme to send you when we're off that you'll, uh, <laughs> that you'll appreciate. <laughs> so here's something that I struggle with, and I really like to get other people's perspectives on how they do this. And, and I can't even imagine how often you get asked questions. So, I, you know, lots of asks of you being in the position that you're in. But how do you say no? I mean, you just can't say yes to everybody. Thinking about this question, I think there's two areas of saying no. There's one from a bandwidth perspective of I try to focus on what are the two or three things that are going to make a big difference, whether it's in my day, whether it's in the week or the month that I'm working in. So really one is saying no from a priority perspective of not just taking on more and more priorities, more and more projects, and then you can't get to all of them. So trying to say no when I'm not going to take on more than I've got the bandwidth or my team has the bandwidth. I may go in and reprioritize some things, but I will say no in those particular areas. Another area where I try not to say no is more from an HR perspective where I've got a customer internally that I'm working with and they come to me with an idea and your kind of your HR sense goes off and says, oh, that's not a good idea. We can't do that, right? But don't want to come right out with that. So what I'll do is I'll ask a couple questions, try to get to the root cause of the problem or the issue that they have, kind of peel the onion back a little bit to understand what really their issue is. And then I'll say, hey, what if we do this? Or what if we do that? We can't do what you ask, but we can do this. And that's going to give you the same result or resolve the same problem. So I try to go to people with solutions and ideas as opposed to kind of saying, you know, the no person. I like how you bifurcated the two no's, if you will. And I really like that approach. The second approach that you had in terms of asking questions and guidance, is, is that something that you just kind of did on your own or did someone teach that to you or did you read about it? Like, where, where does that come from? I, th I think that's a great approach to the no. And that comes from kind of doing the stint in HR from a manufacturing perspective, right? So if you look at kind of the different buckets of HR experiences, one of them is to do labor relations, do manufacturing and having spent time um, supporting plant and manufacturing locations earlier in my career, spent a lot of time around lean manufacturing and the Toyota 
Toyota principles and utilizing some of those tools around root cause problem solving, fishbone to really help get to the root of an issue. So I try to put that into everyday life as well outside the manufacturing arena. Uh, interesting. So that's a great transition too, by the way, working in manufacturing, you've worked in a, in a number of different industries. How have you been able to make these switches? To me, I think the beauty of HR is that you can jump from industry to industry, right? You can go from a consumer products to an automotive to a technical and jump back and forth. I think for the most part, and why I say that is because if you look at the core things that you're going to get after in a business, as far as talents, the engagement levels, those type of things transcend industries. And really the way to kind of accelerate that shift is to understand the business that you're moving into. So not just taking cookie cutter from what you did at your last company or what you did in the last industry, but understand what makes this industry different and what are the learnings that you can take from your old organizations and what are the things that are new for that particular organization. So really it's what are the challenges and opportunities where HR can make a difference and that type of philosophy, I think, works in a lot of different industries or companies. But what's the learning curve from your end? It's not like financial services or Wall, like Wall Street that you're kind of really hard to make the, a switch out of Wall Street or certain types of analytical positions. So that's pretty cool that HR affords you the ability to do this. But I think there's also a challenge in having to learn a culture. How do you get up to speed? You know, different industries, there's different people that are attracted to it. Like, what, what are the things that you're doing? And are there things that you you can do prior to going to an organization or you really just can't, you just kind of got to go full immersion. I think it's a full immersion. I think there's definitely a lot of things you can do before. So if somebody's changing companies and they're starting a new organization, doing as much research as they can on the company, checking out the different employer review websites, checking out their LinkedIn profile, but even just doing informational interviews with people that work at that organization to understand a little bit more about the culture from ahead of time. And are there any things that you have done? What do you do? Like, oh, what's the term? I, I think we were talking about it the other day. I was telling you about what Chris McCormick does. He does this listening tour where, you know, uh, once a day or once a week, he identifies some people within the company and he just kind of carves out some time just to talk to them. Are those things that you have done or implemented or what are some things that you've had some success with? Yeah. So I think w with those type of things, it's the value of listening to people and setting and creating the conditions where people feel comfortable to kind of share their opinion. So I look at my role as the role and the opportunity to bring to life different people's ideas, different perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, and then figure out what's going to work best for the business and then help work to implement them. And the best ideas come from the organization itself come from people. So definitely we utilize, and I use the past different types of surveys, one-on-one -on -one discussions, drop-in discussions, follow-up discussions to different meetings, checking in with new hires, as well as people who've been with the organization for a while, any opportunity to get feedback. And what I always try to do is I always try to loop back with people to, to let them know, hey, what I did with the feedback, if I did take it and move it forward on something to try to show that I am listening and, and trying to respond to those things in a productive way. That's huge. That follow-up piece, that's funny. I've talked to a lot of people and I haven't heard anybody mention that part. And I think that that's really important. What kind of feedback have you gotten on doing the follow-up? Are people surprised? And uh, if so, what are they sharing with you? I'm kind of smiling. You see my face, right? Because I think sometimes people are surprised that we're, if I look at some of the surveys and we'll go through and I'll read some of the verbatim comments. And if somebody leaves a name, I'll follow up with that individual and just kind of talk about what we did or how I use that information. So the feedback from people is really positive. And I think it 
becomes kind of a snowball. So if people see you taking their ideas forward, they'll continue to give more ideas. I mean, if you can't, just going back and saying, hey, those are some great ideas, but here's why we didn't choose those. And just building off those ideas ongoing and creating that culture where people can share their thoughts and opinions and ideas. And they'll do that more and more often. So I think that snowball effect is really powerful in that particular scenario. The worst thing you could do is ask for survey feedback or ask for advice and and not tell people what you did with it or, or share the overall feedback back with them. I think that's great. And I can't even imagine how much time that must take, but I'm assuming that's an investment of time. You definitely get that that time back because if you don't, it, it curtails the culture, right? And it becomes more just talk than actually kind of living the values or living the ways that you're trying to be as a leader. Speaking of values, you, you and I were talking last week or, or the week before, and you mentioned your four buckets of HR. I think they're great. Would, would you mind breaking them down and talking about them a little bit? Absolutely. And I can't take credit for these as one of the colleagues that I work with kind of helped kind of bring these to the forefront. And we use them a lot currently and historically is around one, we have four four different buckets. One is operational excellence, profitable growth, global simplification, and organizational vitality. And I'll talk about that in a second. But we look at HR from a perspective of, I always look at HR as an organization of our kind of mantra is as a team, we're a best-in-class HR team that drives business performance. So we look at it as we're a best-in-class HR teams, which means we do things to a world-class level, whether it's compliance, safety, processes, whatever, and we drive business performance, right? We're just not here to do things HR-wise. We're here to drive the performance of the business. And these four pillars are areas that we look at to measure how we're doing. So operational excellence. We're a manufacturing organization. We're looking to see how is HR supporting our manufacturing side of the business? How are we supporting processes and really just the excellence within overall operations? Profitable growth. We're a growing organization. We've got acquisitions that have come on. We've got growth as far as new products and innovation and new ways of thinking and new markets to go into. So how is HR supporting that profitable growth aspects? And a lot of that is around having the right talent and the right capability and capacity, both for the current moment, but also for the future on that growth. Global simplification, an important one for the organization I'm in now, and that's really around simplifying our ways of working. We're a global organization, so we do things a little bit differently in each region, but how do we standardize? How do we simplify processes, reporting, technologies, different systems? And everyone knows in HR, right? It's not always easy to get additional headcount. Hey, I want more people for this and for that. So we can't always add the headcount, but what we can do is we can get more efficient as an HR organization. We can get away with reports we don't need to do. We can automate some different tasks and responsibilities so that we can get the HR team to focus on more value-added work that's going to have a bigger impact on the business. And a lot of times, it's the more fun HR, right? Mm -hmm. So the teams like to do that. So we focus on global simplification. And then the fourth one, which is really the core of HR, is a term called organizational vitality. And that really is overall, the engagement, the vision, the leadership, and the goals, which really drives the organization forward. So have you set the vision really well for people? Do people know where the business is going, what you're trying to do, and what's important, where are you focused? Do you have the right leadership in place? Are they leading and showing the behaviors in the right way? Do you have the right goals? Is everybody aligned towards what's important? And then overall, what's your employee engagement, right? How excited are people to be there? How comfortable are they in doing their roles? And that gets into uh, the capacity and the capability to to really deliver performance. Mm. And, And that's where culture falls in, right? 
Absolutely. Culture is a key one for us there, and it helps set kind of the DNA, so to speak, of the organization, how we operate and how we interact with each other. Yeah. So building culture is arguably one of the most difficult parts of building any business. I mean, obviously you throw a pandemic into it and, you know, exponentially more difficult. So how do you build a remote culture that is a remote workforce, I should say, that instills your culture? How do you do this? And also, how do you do this having being relatively new to an organization? It was a challenging activity, so to speak. So I had just joined my current organization. I was only there about 90 days when the pandemic really started to take shape and we had to send people home and really started to continue to build that culture in a remote environment. And the easy side is when you've got your existing team because they've been there and they know the culture, but really it's looking at what makes the company different right? So my kind of, my advice then would be is look to see what separates your organization, what makes you different and really, so how do you reinforce and bring those different pieces to life? A lot of it comes from, it could be a product you make. It could be a social aspect of your organization. It could be innovation. It could be the impact you have on your customers. So really understanding what is it that your business is important to them and have that be part of the culture. The flip side is really looking at your company values and seeing ways and opportunities to continue to support and reinforce those values, even in a remote environment, which is not always easy to do, but you really have to just kind of sit back and listen to people and look for the opportunities to link things back to those values. It's been a challenge with the new hires, right? Because they're coming in and they don't necessarily know the culture. So we're still kind of working on how to get that one right, but slowly but surely we're starting to bring everybody into the culture is, but the culture is going to shift and change as well as time moves forward. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's just challenge after challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. What are some of your peers at other organizations? Uh, do, Do you collaborate with them at all? What have they been doing? What's been working? And again, those that are listening, I'm sure would love to hear what hasn't worked. Have you had any experiences or, or things that you've tried that just didn't work? That's like a fourfold question, Adam, yes. but I'll, I'll give, it a, <laughs> give it a shot there. So what I thought was interesting was as soon as the pandemic hit, there was a number of different HR forums or kind of thinking groups that came together. And it was other peer heads of HR at other companies just jumping on these video calls and just kind of brainstorming. It was interesting to see whether it was a large company or a small company, everyone struggling with some of the same challenges. And one of the challenges that jumped out was focusing on remote work right? So everybody's at home. And historically, you have your HR policies always say, remote working is not a substitute for childcare. But we're now in we were an environment and we even still are in some areas where there was no childcare, there was no school to go to. So we had to really shift and and change. And we did some things that I think a number of companies did. We rolled out our work from home guidelines, which really tried to get people comfortable with working from home, taking different breaks and, and taking care of their family. We copied something from IBM when they had rolled out their work from home pledge, which was really their leadership team pledging how they were going to interact with their different team members across the group. And it was a little bit hard at first because it was a shift of you're doing a lot of work all at once. And how do you adjust to that? So one of the things that we had tried from a feedback perspective was we said, hey, you know what? We get the feedback that everybody's got back-to-back meetings. There's a lot going on with all these Zoom calls. Everybody try not to make book meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays from nine to 11. Use that as time to really focus on your work or to connect with individuals. So we rolled that out as a good idea, but 
a couple weeks later, as we're kind of testing how things are going, I remember the feedback I got. Somebody said, hey, Kevin, that was a really good idea that you guys as a leadership team rolled out, but we're not actually following it, right? People aren't following it. And to be honest, I had to stop myself and I was like, what days of the week do we do it again? And, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not even following something that I was championing for. It just wasn't working. So we actually took a, a much more proactive approach where we actually blocked a, a day of the week in certain times in the whole company's calendar. So everybody had it all at once, kind of a big brother approach, but it was a way for us to not only make sure that our words weren't just coming out that saying, hey, we want to value your time. We want you to work differently. But we found as a leadership team, we needed to take some of those really forward examples so people really saw that. And then we also wanted to try to get different leaders to share their stories of how they were flexing their schedules, whether it's walking their kid to school, whether it's oh, having lunch idea. with their spouse, but saying, hey, it's okay. I'm blocking off two hours every day because I got to help my kid with, with schoolwork, right? And that's okay. As long as we get to the work, we get to our goals and objectives, we get that done. But we saw that we had to really make it clear for people that, we weren't just saying it. We really did mean it. And I think that was an interesting thing for people to see that shift. That's a great idea. That's a, I really like that idea. When things come back to normal or quote unquote normal, I, I should say, how much of this remote work do you think you're going to do? And you had mentioned IBM and it was really interesting prior to the pandemic, I was actually, I had dinner with a very senior executive at IBM and he was telling me that they're actually trying to get people, they were originally they were like pioneers in this years ago, getting people out and they were going to start selling a lot of their real estate that they owned. And he was telling me that they, after lots and lots of analysis, they've realized it's not been near as productive as they thought it was going to be now that they've collected lots and lots of data. So, so their plan was actually to move everybody back in. So I'd yeah, be curious I, if you guys have even started thinking about those kinds of things yet, or you're just so deep that you, you can't even think about that yet. We're d definitely thinking about it. And you look at it from an HR perspective, it's a daunting thing because the whole pandemic has really put HR into the forefront of what's going on. And it's a lot of responsibility as an organization, as a function to make sure that we get it right. Because if we do get it right, it's going to be a great thing and have a competitive advantage for us. If we get it wrong, it's going to negatively impact your business's performance. So we've been looking at it in a perspective of everybody's home right now, but we've got two groups. We've got our frontline manufacturing workforce that go to work every single day that are in our manufacturing facilities, generating our plants or products. And then we've got our team that are in all corporate offices that are now remote, right? So how do we set up a structure and environment that works for both? Obviously our, our frontline teams need to be at work every day and manufacturing products, but there's different functions. And we look at things a little bit differently. So take, for example, finance, IT, HR, right? We're more support functions. We can support our businesses remotely. It's easier to do that, but there's definitely parts of our business where coming together is absolutely critical to the nature of the work, right? Innovation, product development, the engineering team, brainstorming, coming together, collaborating and working together. So we're trying to figure out what's the right way to come together and to collaborate and what's the right level of flexibility. So we're, we're talking with our teams, we're getting feedback and we're going to use the next few months to try out a couple different scenarios. So eventually we'll have a, a great way of working, but it'll be definitely different than it is today. And that has been historically. How often are you checking in? Is this something that's happening like weekly? Is it monthly? Like, like how are you measuring all this stuff? 
we do a couple things. So we did a, a formal pulse survey through our engagement survey vendor, kind of you would normally assume in normal times. We just recently did a separate survey specific to remote working, asking people what was working, what wasn't working, what would they want to do in the future, what's relevant for their function and business and why. And really interesting thing with that was, is the amount of comments that we got back was almost every single person that took that survey provided comments. So that really showed me, you know, that this is a topic that people are really interested in and is an emotional topic because it impacts them as individuals. So we do that. And then we share the survey data with our leaders. They go back and share it with their teams and we continue to have that discussion. So it's a, a bit of an evolution and we'll try some things and they won't work. We'll stop them and we'll find some things that do work. So we're not afraid to communicate what we're going to do. And we're not afraid to say, hey, that didn't work. We're going to quickly course correct based on your feedback. So not being afraid to kind of try some different things. I like that approach. And do you think that some of the success that you're having, like like having people that are taking the time to not just do yes and no answers and actually filling out and giving you more than just data, like comments, do you think that can be attributed to the fact that prior to this pandemic that you had actually responded to them? I think it absolutely is. I think it's an attribute to it's a tribute to that constant feedback that we've been providing back to people that they know that we're actually going to do things with the survey. We're going to utilize their comments and their feedback. And it's that important loop of asking people for feedback and then telling them what you're going to do or what you're not going to do based on that feedback, just as important. Now we don't have it down perfect, but we definitely that's the mantra that we're working towards. Perfect example of that was an investment of your time. It's critical that people see that they invest their time and we'll invest our time in trying to get to some good solutions. Yeah. How do you go about attracting and retaining a diverse workforce during all this stuff, during the remote world we're in right now? Is the nice thing about it more difficult? Is yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? I think the easier part is we'd be able to expand the radius with which we recruit from geographically. So kind of gives us a little more flexibility as we look at remote, we can kind of recruit a little bit outside that area. The other piece is just from an internal diversity and inclusion perspective, whereas in the past, when we would communicate with our teams, you usually do them as a, a town hall type meeting where you're at the location, you get everybody together and you have a discussion. It's usually whether it's a state or a country, but it's that whole group from that area, right? Which is one type of diversity. But now as we've been doing these calls through video calls, we'll do a call and we'll have our supporting team on there from Asia. We'll have people from Europe. We'll have people from Mexico bringing different perspectives to how we do things all in the same room, all hearing the same message at the same time. And it really has given us an ability to see our organization's diversity a little bit differently from a perspective of getting everybody together at the same time. So that's really been helpful for us to just share and see different perspectives and opinions in ways we couldn't before, or we didn't even think to do before, to be honest. Yeah. And then what about from, what are the challenges that you're facing? The challenge is getting it right and, and acting as quickly as you can, yeah. right? So one of the things that we've been looking at is you know, how do you make it a competitive advantage? So the nice thing about diversity and inclusion is one, I want to work in an organization that's diverse and inclusive. The people I work with want that type of organization. And really it's what can we do? What are the things we put in place to help support that? And we know that if we get it right, it's going to be an advantage for us because we'll attract and retain greater talent than our competitors will. And that's going to help us to kind of move forward as the business. And the other piece is it also got us to see a little bit around, sometimes you do need to treat people differently based on what their perspectives are, where they're coming from. And we saw that 
during the pandemic, people with younger kids, right? They needed something different than maybe somebody who was younger in their career or older in their career. There's very different needs. So from a diversity lens, we try to look at what are the needs that people have and then apply programs or processes or policies to support different groups in a in really holistic fashion. Was anything in place prior to you coming, or not just from a work a remote standpoint, but just in general to really focus on this diversity and inclusion? We had some basic pieces in place, but there was a lot of opportunity for us. So we did a lot of different areas. We revamped our maternity program. We rolled out some back to work programs. We extended the time people were off. We threw in some fun things like a diaper subscription service where a new mom gets diapers delivered to their house ongoing just to kind of bring some fun to what we're doing. So we've started some employee resource groups as well within the organization, which again, there's nothing that's new, but they're things that are just important to people. And we'll continue to build on that based on people's ideas and thoughts. That's great. Have you noticed the ERGs growing or kind of staying static with, or even shrinking as a result of our current situation? We've seen them grow. And what I've seen is a greater emphasis by non-diverse groups to get involved in the diversity and inclusion initiatives, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just let's say for our women leaders, right, or our diversity and inclusion groups of people of diverse backgrounds that are part of those groups, it's everybody else jumping in and saying, hey, I, I may not be in a diverse group, but it's important to me that my organization lives the values and creates an inclusive environment. And I want to know how that makes sure that I'm doing that as a leader. And we have a lot of people doing that. So it's been really great to see that groundswell of energy around diversity and inclusions from all groups within the business. Even we don't have that level of diversity at the start. That's got to be great. It's got to be so good for morale. And again, probably another nice recruiting tool as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and we're not perfect on that aspects, but we're definitely working towards that and just taking on the feedback from everybody. And we keep getting better and better as time goes by. Clearly, that's just kind of a mantra of you about getting better and better. Um, back to you. I got one or two more questions before we wrap up. I'd really like to focus this more about you and just some of the personal success that you've had. Is there anything in particular that you can attribute your success? I don't know if it's the maybe the best skill set that you feel that has led to your success. I don't think it's so much a, a skill set, right? I think there's I'm more of kind of a, a school of thought around it's that grit that makes an impact, right? I'm sure we've all kind of read the book on on grit and looking at it, it's to me, it's having that perseverance, right? Being able to put in the hard work, put in the time and not being daunted by setbacks, right? It's really pushing and challenging things to get to a better level to see what else is possible. So that to me has always been what's there, right? Setting that goal, what's possible. And then I'll see that whether it's in business, taking on different roles, or whether it's on the personal side of doing different athletic activities and events in that aspect. If I was going to boil it down to a specific skill, or capability on the HR side, I would say what's really valuable is having the financial acumen, having a financial background enough to be able to read a profit and loss statement of a company, be able to understand and talk about how your HR initiative and what's the ROI on that and how do you calculate that? And what does that mean for the business and how your company makes money? And the example I would give is I think if you look maybe over the last couple of years, we've seen a number of large organizations have placed individuals into their top HR roles from outside of HR, either Mm -hmm. internally in from other parts of the business or from other companies or other parts of other businesses into HR. And I think part of that is because at a certain point, some HR leaders don't have that 
financial acumen, that business sense, that business lens on things. And that's what CEOs are looking for sometimes. And that's why they bring in that role. So whether it's a frontline HR manager or if it's a senior role, I think having that financial acumen, being able to understand how your business works and makes money really can separate you know, one HR professional from somebody that's really making a big difference on their business. That's great advice. So I, I guess my last question before I let you go would be, for those that are listening, is there something that you recommend that they do to really better understand the business itself? Is it carving out the time with the drivers of the business to do those one-on-ones to say, hey, explain your business to me? Or is it something that they're doing more on their own in terms of just kind of learning the industry and what's going on? I think it's both. If somebody has the opportunity to rotate out of HR into a line role, I think that's an invaluable experience to have to bring back into the business. And I think back to, you know, my previous organizations, I worked for United Parcel Service right out of college. And as part of the roles there, everybody had to go out and deliver packages. Whether you were in HR and finance, IT, you had to know and understand the business. And that you know, I think made everybody in that organization better because they knew how that company made money and and what they were there to do. And I've looked at roles where I've really partnered very closely with the sales team to understand what they're doing. So to guess to your question, getting experience outside of HR, whether it's rotating formally into a position in the business for a little bit, or just spending a lot of time with your leaders in the business or different frontline managers to understand what they're doing, what their challenges are. Because HR's role, right? Again, going back to the idea of we're best-in-class HR team that drives business performance, you can't drive business performance if you don't know what are the barriers or the challenges they're having or what are the opportunities that they have. And that's where HR can come in and make an impact. That's excellent. Great advice. Kevin, uh, stimulating conversation, learned a lot. Not to mention, again, I'm uh, forever in debt for your patience with me and my technical issues over here. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thank you. I had a great time and happy to uh, have been a, a two-time participant on one call. <laughs> awesome, man. Make it a great day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network